Well, good morning. You may be seated. This morning, because of the sermon and because of the topic, we're kind of reversing things, and so we're changing some things up uh, as we uh, just try to communicate this morning what we believe God would have us communicate. And so Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and begin to turn there uh, as we look at that. And, and as you're turning, let me just tell you, this, this last week, uh, there's a little bit of controversy here on a Sunday morning that, that we had a CSU Pueblo student, an artist, come in and he, he did murals uh, in all the children's classrooms on the back wall. And it was really a cool deal. It was a, you know, to set the theme, set the tone and everything. And so on room five, the big room where some of our older children are, uh, he did a, a mural, and he did some of the greatest landmarks in the, where, in, in, in the U.S. and the world, where there's a Statue of Liberty and the Golden Gate Bridge and the Roman Coliseum, uh, Mount Rushmore, um, and some other things. And so who knows how it happened, but, but he put Cowboy Stadium on that wall. <laughs> and... Uh, and so, of course, some people noticed it, and there's a little bit of controversy, and then people running back there to see it. And, and so the students are in, in class, and, you know, I won't mention his name, but the teacher, you know, some people call him J.B. Martinez. And <laughs> so he is having trouble with the students about keeping their focus and, and everything because, and you know, they were whining about the whole deal you know, Cowboy Stadium. And so the Statue of Liberty is there where they're, where they're torch up and then off to the side in between her and the Golden Gate Bridge. And so Cowboy Stadium was here. And so to, to ease everything in his classroom, JB just simply told his students, says, well, students, we should be happy. It just simply proves one thing, that Cowboy Stadium is the armpit of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know you guys don't share in that, but after every service, uh, people have lined up. I mean, JB's become like a hero. And so uh, anyway, I took it kind of personal. So anyway, just want to let you guys know that's going on in our church. So Galatians, so Galatians chapter 3. We've been in this series in the book of Galatians, and we've been looking at this subject of what does it mean to live in freedom? What does it mean in the Christian life to live in freedom to where you don't feel like you're earning salvation, you're, you're, you're working for your salvation, uh, all these different subjects and all of these different issues that come into play with that. And so here's what was going on in the context, in case you weren't with us, is this, that, that the Apostle Paul, they started a church all in the region of Galatia. Uh, Paul is teaching Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, which is the same thing that Jesus taught. And so there's a group of Judaizers that come in. Judaizers are Jewish believers, and so they had met Christ, they'd accepted Christ, they become Christians, and so they're coming into the church, and they're saying, wait a minute, it's not Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, it's Jesus plus works, it's Jesus plus circumcision. In other words, there's something you have to do to earn your, your, your salvation, or there's something that you and I have to do to work for, or to, to become acceptable to God. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the, 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 the churches there in Galatia, uh, to explain to them, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And so uh, Galatians chapter 2, we looked at last week, the apostle brought, brought in the theology, the doctrine, the doctrine of justification. Justification, if you're with us, you know this. It means that you are justified in Christ. Justification was a legal term. And so it wasn't a moment in process. It wasn't a process that you had to go through. It was like a judge uh, making a judgment and saying, not guilty. 
And so that's what it was. It was a moment in time. So in other words, it's this picture that you are justified in him. You are declared not guilty, okay? And it's not a process. It's not something you earn. And then that means that justification is, is that there is nothing you can do tomorrow to be more justified than you are today. There's nothing you can do to be less justified than you are today. And so this kind of pushed them back on their heels, if you will. And then Genesis chapter 3. Paul introduced it in, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 2. And then Paul defends it or illustrates it in Galatians chapter 3. That's where we find ourselves this morning. Is all of a sudden, and, and here, here's my prayer. And then we're going to go back into worship and, and hopefully worship God from a different attitude of thankfulness this morning. And, and here's my prayer. You know, I want you to learn something this morning. We want you to learn something every weekend. But my goal is not just knowledge, understanding. You cannot do what you do not understand. I cannot do what I do not understand. My goal is that you would understand, and I'm going I'm to do the very best I can to communicate this simple principle that salvation by faith through grace in Christ it's not Jesus plus works. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. The first one, Jesus, uh, the first one, I'm sorry, uh, salvation by faith. Galatians chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 1, Paul begins to ask them very quickly, Six questions. Have you ever had someone do that, that, that they're upset with you or they're frustrated or maybe they're passionate about something and they rip off like one question right after another and you have, you have no chance, no ability to even respond to them. And so you can sense kind of Paul's frustration. You can sense kind of Paul's uh, uh, urgency of it. And watch this. Oh, you foolish Galatians. You can sense his frustration. I mean, very seldom did Paul ever call someone a fool. And all of a sudden, he's calling him. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly uh, portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. I'm gonna, basically, I'm going to ask you only this. Six different ways. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it keeping the law? Was it keeping the letter of the law? Was it by the law? Or was it by, by faith? And you're going to see this over and over and over. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Colossians, remember what we looked at? Colossians says, just as you receive Christ, so therefore walk in Him. How did you receive Him? By faith. How do you walk? By faith. Why is it so many times we're no different? Sometimes it's so easy for New Testament believers to place ourselves over biblical people, the scriptures, the people in the scriptures, and say, I would never do that. I can't believe that. We do the same thing sometimes, right? We accept Christ by faith, and then all of a sudden we try to earn being acceptable or, or, or good enough or whatever. And it may, be not, it may not be circumcision that's our issue. It may be something else. So watch this. He says, do you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Are by hearing with faith. I mean, he's trying to push them to the point. Was it by the law or faith? What is it? 
Verse 6. Here's the, here's the hinge verse. Listen, just as big doors swing on small hinges, big ideas of Scripture, big theology, big doctrines of Scripture swing on small hinges. And this is that verse, verse 6. A direct quote from Genesis. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that as those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before, beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. Verse 9, huge. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Abraham who? The man of the, of the law? The man of works? No. Abraham, the man of faith. And Paul is saying, did you receive this, the, the, the Spirit by obedience to the law, by perfecting the law, or by faith? What was it? Do you realize in the new covenant, we are all sons of Abraham? We are one family. We have been grafted in. The story of Abraham, see, Paul goes back to Abraham because remember the context. Remember who he's speaking to. That is always important in understanding Scripture. He's talking to Jewish believers. They knew the, the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They could quote it. They could quote entire chapters. They knew who Abraham was. He was a patriarch. He was a hero of theirs. They says, let's go back to Abraham. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Because by the way... The Old Testament, the New Testament, no difference in the way that we were, are saved. We are saved. We have salvation. Old Testament to the New Testament. By faith, through grace, in Christ. Old Testament believers, they had a forward look to the cross. Believing by faith what Christ would do, that he'd be the, 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 the sacrifice, the substitution for their sins. New Testament believers, we have a backwards look to the cross. It's all the same. By faith, through grace, in Christ. Abraham's life really started and ended two questions. Will you trust me? That's us as well. I mean, God moved Abraham to the point, will you trust me? I mean, God asked a man, Abraham, to leave the, the, Gulf, the Persian Gulf region, leave his family, leave his culture, leave his friends, leave his home, leave his possessions, and go to a land that God would show him. God didn't pull out an atlas because that's what a lot of us want, right? I mean, really and truly, sometimes when we pray for God's will in our life, we really just want to know, where do we end up? How does it turn out for me? This is just for free. <laughs> I didn't tell any of the other services this. God's will for your life is not so much it's not so much where you are, who you're with as much as who you are. It's God's will for your life. The person that you are. We make God's will so much about where we are and, and who we're with and what we're doing. And can I just tell you God's will is more about the person, is more about who you are. And Abraham's life started and ended with the same question, will you trust me? 
Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. See, Paul knew. He took them back to Genesis. They knew this backwards and forwards. And he said, let's go back to Abraham, verse 1, chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land. What? The land that I will show you. Trust me. Abraham, will you trust me? Abraham, will you let go of your past? Sometimes that is the hardest thing for us to do. Some of you, your past is wrecking your life. Faith, will you let go of your past? Abraham, will you trust me? Will you trust me with your past? Verse 2, it's conditional promises. I've taught you there in Scripture, there are conditional promises of Scripture and there are unconditional promises of Scripture. This is a conditional promise of Scripture. Abraham, you do this, here's what I'll do. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I'll make your name great. So that your name will be a blessing. Listen, God does not just bless you for you. God blesses you so that you will be a blessing to others. We make it all about us. We make it all about our comfort. We make it all about about our stuff. But God blesses you. Yes, to bless you. But guess what? It does not end there. He blesses you to be a blessing to others. See, there's one small prerequisite for this unbelievable outpouring of God's blessing. And that is this. Will you trust me completely? Will you let go of your past? Later on, may even be harder. He asked Abraham, we'll look at it, Genesis chapter 22. Will you trust me? Will you let go of your future? Will you trust me completely? And Abraham was commanded to go and to follow God. And God's like, I need you to trust me. And if you do this, I'll bless the world through you. And the Judaizers, they knew this story. In verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he goes back to Abraham and he says, guys, if you want to talk about circumcision, Jesus plus circumcision, let's, let's go back to Abraham. Let's go back to the time where it was started. Let's How about this? Let's just see how Abraham was justified. Let's understand that together. And he talks about this promise that Abraham received by by faith. And Paul was trying to help them. And guess what? Paul is trying to help us today to understand the role that faith plays in your Christian life. Salvation by faith. Second thing that we're going to look at is through grace. And we, this just unfolds in an unbelievable way in Abraham's life. And by grace, God blesses his people. Do you realize this morning? It was by his grace that he has blessed you. It is by his grace that you live in the country that you live in. It's by his grace that the blessings, not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, not because of what you bring to the table. When you look at Abraham's life, it is not based on what Abraham had done, but it was based upon the blessing of God, the grace of God in his life. It was not Abraham going to make a deal with God. 
please understand this. It was not Abraham going to make, even though we, today we make all kinds of deals with God, right? God, you get me out of this mess. You take care of this situation. I'll go to church every week. I'll read my Bible every day. I'll give some money. I, it, it, you name it. It was not Abraham going to make a deal with God. It was God going to Abraham to make a covenant, which we don't understand that word to the depths that it is, but it was God going to make a covenant with Abraham. Remember, Genesis chapter 12, God said, all the nations will be blessed through you. The problem is, Abraham doesn't have a son, and it gets worse. He's 99 years old. He couldn't have children in his 20s. He couldn't have children in his 30s. He couldn't have children in his 40s. They probably gave up in their 50s. Who knows what happened? It wasn't what Abraham brought to the table. Man, we got to grab this. He wasn't the most likely choice. Fact is, he was an unlikely choice. He didn't have any children. And God's telling him, your heir? Watch this. Uh, Genesis, let's jump. Genesis 15, verse 1. And these, these things, the word of the Lord, came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not. Listen, let me just tell you, so we're all clear. Faith and fear run parallel. Faith and fear run together. If you're going to walk in faith, you've got to move past, you've got to move in spite of your fear. It's Abraham, fear not. Watch this. What a great promise. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham sa said, watch, this is just so honest. There's a prayer. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For hello, I continue childless. Yeah, these prayers are so real. I mean, a, a lot of my prayers, when I look at my prayers, I'm just giving God information that he already knows. I mean, we do that, right? I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time when God in heaven looked down and says, Oh, Charlie, thank you for that information. I had no clue. I didn't even know that was a problem. I'm glad you pointed that out because now I'll correct it. And so Abraham the same way. Hello, God. I know you want me to be a father of, of, of many nations. Guess what? Hello, I'm fatherless. I'm 99. It does not look well for me. And so watch this. Listen, let me just tell you this. Faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is not some Pollyanna faith that everything's good even though there's some crummy stuff going on. Faith is looking at the facts and believing God more than the facts and moving ahead in spite of what the facts tell you and in spite of what the facts say. Abraham was no different. And he says, I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, behold, oh man, we do this so often, but you have given me no offspring. It's a complaint to God. So many times in faith, so many times when we are not trusting him, we can move from trust. You know how you're moving from trust? When you move from trust to complaint. At the core issue, when, when Abraham said, you have given me no children, you have given me no offspring, what he's saying is, God, you're not good. That's what we say. God, you're not taking care of me. It is your fault that I don't have any children. Behold, you have given me no offspring. 
and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son. Faith is not ignoring the facts. Faith is trusting God over the facts. Faith is moving forward in spite of the facts. And he brought him outside. You see, this verse 5 is so personal to me. Because I've done that. I haven't trusted him completely in some areas of my life. I've doubted him. I've complained against him. So it becomes very important to me. How is God going to treat Abraham? Because how he treats Abraham, he will treat me. So it becomes very personal to me. How does God, a holy and righteous God, respond when someone doubts or someone complains? Verse 5 is just so cool. And God brought him outside and said, Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Not how could you not trust me? How could you blame me? Why are you co- Abraham. See, God knew that he would be going from KOA campground to KOA campground on his way to wherever God was taking him. And those nights that he has doubts, we all do, right? That's why the word of the Lord is, uh, word of God is so important to us and promises in Scripture. And he knew that those times that he would have doubts and he had questions and he would wonder. He's sitting around the campfire and he looks up to heaven and he goes, but I remember. I remember when God took me outside. He didn't judge me. He didn't condemn me. He didn't rebuke me. He didn't say, I'll find someone else. He said, Abraham, count the stars if you're able. So shall your offspring be. Verse 6. It's a quote from Galatians chapter 6. Kind of interesting. And Abraham believed the Lord and counted to him as righteousness. By grace, God blesses his people. And it is expressed in a radical promise. And we see this all through Abraham's life. And Abraham, your descendants are going to be many. And Sarah laughed hysterically when she heard this. Catch this. It is not what Abraham brought to the table. He had no children. It is not what Abraham brought to the table. It is what God brought to the table of grace. It is not what you bring to the table. It is not your works. It is not what you bring to the table. It is what God brings to the table of grace. By His grace... Abraham brought nothing to the table. It is so clear in the story. No children, childless, past childbearing years. It's not what he brought to the table. And so God entered into a covenant with Abraham. And we've so got to understand what a covenant is and what it means. Because in our time, we have trouble understanding what a covenant is. And when someone entered into a covenant with another. And so God told him in Genesis chapter 15... Verse 9, he said this. He said to him, 
Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. See, here's what they would do in their time when one person entered into a, a covenant with another. They would take an animal and they would sacrifice that animal, a bull or a ram or a heifer. And they would separate it out and they would put it in two parts. And they would have a space in between, what we would call an aisle. And so they would take the animal and they would put half the animal on this side, if you will, half the animal on this side. And they would take their face and turn it towards the aisle. The two people that entered into a covenant, not a contract, so important to understand, a covenant before God that was, God was involved, that was witnessed by others. And the two parties would walk in. They'd walk down to the altar. They'd make their vow. They'd make their covenant. And then before God, they would either arm in arm or walk side by side and they'd walk a blood covenant in between the animal that was sacrificed. We still practice that today. We may not realize it. A father walks his daughter down the center aisle of a church. You know there's a center aisle in a church for a reason. It's not so all the family can see the bride. It's not so the photographer gets all the pictures. It's helpful. But a father walks a bride, his daughter, down the aisle. They go to the altar together, bride and groom. The bride and groom make a vow, a commitment to one another. Then, arm in arm, with two parties facing the aisle. They walk through the congregation. A blood covenant for life. If you're married here this morning, you're in a covenant, whether you realize it or not. Not a contract. You know when joy leaves a marriage is when it becomes a contract. You do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll respond this way. I'll only love you if, I'll only be with you if, I will only be emotionally attached to you if. You know when joy leaves a Christian life? When it's no longer a contract, it's no longer a covenant. It becomes a contract. I've got to work for it. I've got to earn it. I've got to struggle with it. And so look at this. Verse 12. And the sun was going down. And a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Verse 17 symbolizes God in this story. In this covenant. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch, that's symbolic of God, 
pass between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of, the, of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. So here's the big question. What was Abraham doing when the covenant was made? What was he doing? Verse 12, he's asleep. He's asleep. Abraham brought nothing to the table. It was what God brought to the table of grace. Verse 6. That Abraham believed and was justified and had the righteousness of God was not based on what he had done, but what he believes. And Paul was trying to get them to understand that it is through faith. Yeah, Abraham was circumcised. And we've got to look at that. But when? Not until Genesis chapter 17. Not until after he was justified by faith. I mean, this is huge for them. I mean, a little bit of church history. And I know this is kind of a dark time of church history. And sometimes church history is kind of boring to us. But... The church, uh, the Pope had gone to a church in Rome in the 1500s. And it was a sacred church, and it was a special church. And there were these stairs that went from street level all the way up to the, to the front of the, of the church. And so the Pope went there and said, these stairs are sacred, and started talking about salvation. So the church started selling indulgences. In other words, you could pay a certain amount of money to gain salvation. And so people were selling homes and they're selling children. People are becoming homeless and going into poverty just to try to gain salvation because it was something that they were taught, that you, something that you had to do, it's something that you had to work for. And so there's a young man by the name of Martin Luther, and he wanted salvation more than anything in the world, and he was a student of the Bible, fortunately. So he traveled there. And so they were told if you purchase this indulgence and then if you walk these stairs and you go to at every step you kneel you kiss the step and you pray when you get to the top all of your sins will be forgiven in other words you've done something you've worked for your salvation and martin luther began to do that and he would kneel and he'd kiss the step and he'd pray and habakkuk 2 4 started coming to his mind the righteous shall live by faith the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And as he got halfway up, he had like this epiphany, if you will. He said, the righteous shall live by faith. It's not a me of paying enough money. It's not a matter of me climbing a bunch of stairs. It's not a matter of me kneeling and praying at every stair. The righteous shall live by faith. Salvation is by faith through grace. 
And the righteous live by faith, and by faith we live, and by faith Abraham lived. And so some at this point of a message begin to kind of push back and say, well, if all I have to do is just to believe in God, and all if I have to do is kind of believe in him and have some faith, and I get the righteousness of God, and it's credited to me by, simply by believing God, and then, then I don't do anything. It doesn't matter how I live. I mean, the accusation is, well, if you teach what the Bible teaches, then what about how people live? Won't that live to a, lead to a life of sin? Won't that lead to a life to where people just do whatever they want? The scriptures say absolutely not. That those who have know that they have, have fa- that they have salvation by faith through grace, and that is all, that through faith alone, that they live like the they don't live like the rest of the world. Because they realize it is by faith through grace, and they brought nothing to the table. And they have a totally different attitude. Faith is expressed. Your faith and my faith is expressed in how we live our life. And faith is expressed in radical obedience. Abraham, he was justified by faith, but he also lived by faith. And God gave him a promise. And God said, if you will follow me, wherever you go, I will go. And I will lead you. And he follows God, and he has this radical faith. And he goes to a foreign land, and he leaves his culture, and leaves his family, leaves his possessions. He leaves everything. Listen, living by faith is lived out. The proof of your faith, the proof of your belief, is lived out in the way that you live your life. See, at the beginning and the end of Abraham's life, same question, Will you trust me? The beginning of his life, will you let go of your past? The end of his life, will you let go of your future? See, in this time, God gave them a son. His name is Isaac. And so he was the promised one. He was his only son. And then God leads him to a point to sacrifice his son. And Abraham, following God, took his son up to a mountain, and he reasoned what Scripture says. Because remember, faith is not ignoring the facts. And he reasoned that, you know what, if God calls me to sacrifice my son, then he has the power to resurrect him and give him life again. All I know to to do is to trust God. And so God provided for him at the end, and God provided a ram for him. Genesis 22, 12 is what God says. God says, now I know. Now I know that you fear God. The proof is a life of faith. Because you have not, watch this, because you have not withheld me From me, your son, your only son. What are you withholding from God this morning? Do you realize the very thing that you're withholding from God, that you have so tight of a hold on, that you refuse to release to God, may be the very area of your life that he wants to bless your socks off? What are you withholding from God? I mean, faith is this, is letting go of your past and letting go of your future and coming into this area to where you completely and totally trust him. See, this is not someone, Abraham is not someone that is just justified by faith, but this is the picture of a person that is willing to live by faith. Now listen, this just kind of causes us to pause, and, and we've been talking about grace, and we've been talking about, about faith, and, and that if we're obedient, God blesses you. So let's ask the question, maybe it's on your mind, is, is Abraham earning or working for blessings? Absolutely not. He is living out a working faith in his life. And those who live by faith, their life is radically changed. And it is different than the world. So many believers make decisions just like the world does. 
And they reason just like the world does. And they hang on to their finances just like the world does. And they hang on to their possessions just like the world does. And they hang on to their life and their future just like the world does. You see, it's not just being justified by faith. Yeah, you're justified by faith, but the proof is living it out. When your life is radically changed, that stuff doesn't have a hold on your life like it once did. The reason we do not live radical lives, as Hebrews 11 talks about, because in the end, we need to believe God. And we need to believe that He is good. And that He is our shield. And that He is our protector. He will give us peace. He has our best interest in mind. That He is worthy of giving everything up for. By grace through faith, I bring nothing to the table. By grace through faith, you bring nothing to the table. God does the table of grace, and he invites all of us to the table. And when you understand it's not only being justified by faith, but it's living by faith, this changes everything in your life. We need to be delivered from this contemporary Christianity that says, I can make a decision for Christ, and I can have grace, and I can handle my life however I want, with no consequence. The last thing is this, salvation by faith, through grace, in Christ. And so Paul goes deeper and he says he also had a covenant with Abraham. He had a covenant with Moses. These two complement each other. And God uses the law to show us our need of Christ, our need of forgiveness. The law can't give life. The law can't give forgiveness. The law can't give uh, salvation. The law can't give righteousness. The law is dead. And so here stands Christ. He is completely righteous, no sin, no imperfection, no blemish. Blemish, he is right with God, and he stands there and he says to us, I will take the curse for you if you will accept me. Watch this, verse 3, Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13, Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ became for us the curse for us. Not for the person in front of you, not for the person behind you, not for, to the, for the person to the right or to the left. He came for you. Regardless of your past, regardless of your decisions. And Jesus took our, the curse, and he died for us, and he gave his life for you. And he paid the price and he set us free. And Paul, in the end, is asking him, do you really think you can earn salvation? Do you really think circumcision makes that big of a deal? Do you know Christ is enough? Do you know Christ is all you need? The point of Christianity is is not that you need a better life. The point of Christianity is that you need a new life. You need salvation. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Christianity doesn't revolve around us becoming better, but Christ becoming 
everything in our life. Verse 14, watch this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise, the promised spirit through faith. And when we receive the promise of the Spirit in us, that changes everything in our life. And we receive the promise, the righteousness, His Spirit is placed in you, so it changes us from the inside out. And we are justified in Him. For those of you who are not believers, I've made the gospel as simple as I know how Paul's made the gospel as simple as he knows how. Last night we had a man come down after the service, accept Christ. He prayed to receive Christ down here, and and uh, the next morning at nine o'clock he showed back up to be baptized. He just he couldn't wait, and it was just a huge deal in our nine o'clock service. And there's some of you here this morning. And I'm just telling you, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to ask Him to come into your life, and it's not what you bring to the table, but it's what He brings to the table of grace for you. And you need to accept Him and ask Him to come into your life. There's some of you here that are believers. What is He saying to you? Are you walking in faith? Are you holding on? What are you withholding from Him? Is it all about you? We're going to go into a time of worship in just a second. Our men are going to come as we get ready to take our offering. Offering is a part of worship. The fact is, it's the picture of living by faith. It's the picture that we don't withhold from God and we don't hold on to our resources more than we hold on to Him. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of worship. Our purpose is to glorify Him and to trust Him. And so here's what I'm going to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And we're going to let you sit quietly before him. And maybe just ask him, God, God, what would you have to say to me this morning? What do you, not what Charlie is saying, but what do you say? What do you, how do you want me to respond in my life? Have you let go of your past? Have you let go of your future? Are you seeing God bless your life?